Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. Tonight, we are uh, talking a little bit more national because there wasn't a KU game going on. There's obviously a lot that's happening in the world of college football in the last couple weeks here. Um, we will be having a preview episode to get us ready for this Kansas-Baylor game, assuming that it happens, given the uh, Baylor COVID issues that happened last week. Um, but today we are actually bringing someone on the podcast for the first time, uh, Thor Nystrom. Uh, he is, uh, writes for college football and the NFL draft over at Roto World, the, the NBC sports site. Thor, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Andy. Yeah. So, uh, actually I was talking to you beforehand and, uh, I thought I had caught most of the KU alum that were, uh, you know, out in the, the sports media, at least the national ones. And, uh, apparently I had forgotten one, but, uh, you know, you're recommended by, by Andrew as someone to bring onto the podcast to kind of talk about everything going on. Um, and, you know, I was looking through some of your stuff and, and definitely um, the right the right person to talk to about this kind of national perspective of the first thing I, well, the first thing I wanted to, to kind of ask you about is the Big 12. Obviously, it's been a very poor showing with the exception of Oklahoma and Texas at the beginning of the season. Um, you know, there there might be some bigger implications than we originally thought with some of the other conferences trying to come back and play and be in the, in the playoff picture, but your, your thoughts on the big 12, was it really as bad of a start to the season as we are thinking it is, or, or, or is this kind of what you expect when you have a weird season like this with really no lead up to, you know, the actual games that they have? Yeah, I would say um, in some ways, both, you know, column A and column B and, you know, with what you're asking. And and the reason I say that is, it, I mean, it, it, it is embarrassing. It, it's not good, you know, for the conference to have three upset losses on that opening big, you know, Saturday or whatever. But what I would say is there's been a discrepancy in spring practices between the Big 12 and just about every opponent that they played. You know, the Big 12 was just behind on that. You know, I, you know it, very few spring practices, the, the entire conference combined. KU didn't have any. Um, and so, like, you know, we've seen this in the against the spread data to this point when when you have a discrepancy of five spring practices or more, 
against an opponent playing in their first game, they're going to struggle. You know, we, we've seen that, you know, time and time again here in the early going. And the three uh, cases of, of upset losses with Kansas, Kansas State, and Iowa State, that was the case in every single one of those games. And so the other team was just more prepared. And whereas in past seasons, that statement would be an indictment of the of the head coach in in this season it's you can't really say that right because some of the COVID stuff was out of coaches hands and and, and the practice time etc so it's just a preparation thing I I would expect by the end of the season you know for the cream to, to start rising to the top but obviously at that point we're going to be in conference play so yeah I mean so so I mean it, it seems like Maybe even potentially then that teams like TCU and Baylor, who are you know weren't able to play their non-conference game, are going in to play their first games this weekend. Um, you know, potentially they could have a lot of the same growing pains. Do, do you think that that gives an advantage to the teams that they're facing in in Iowa State and Kansas, um, or is it kind of one of those things now that that uh, because not, neither of those other teams really got that same kind of preparation that they're going to be somewhat on a similar footing at this point? I would absolutely say that that their opponents, Kansas being one of them, the one that we care the most about, but they definitely have an advantage going in. You know, again, it, this isn't my opinion. This has been borne out in the early going in the against the spread data, you know, as far as teams playing up or down. And so the, the teams that are making their debut against teams that have already played, um, they're at a disadvantage heading in. So, you know, you look at the practices, how many practices the teams got, and then, you know, if they've opened their season already, as far as Kansas, they were on the opposite, you know, or the wrong end of that against Coastal Carolina, a team that had a bunch of spring practices. But, you know, and, and obviously Kansas is making their season debut at that point. This game, they have a game, you know, are, you know, coming up here, they already have a game under their belt. And so, you know, like this line I was looking at, it's like, you know, 25 and a half or something like that, 26. That seems, you know, I stop after watching Kansas, what, like what they did against Coastal Carolina, but th- that seems a bit rich for me. You know, I, I, you have a Baylor team who's who's under a new administration, defensive-minded head coach. You know, you know, taking over for rule. You know, so, so it's the same sort of thing. But he's coming from LSU, doesn't know the players. Um, you, you know, you have the regime change, and then you have the the making the season debut thing. Then you also have the COVID cases. So I, you know, I think the can You know, not to tell surprise to you, I'm not going to call for an upset or anything like that. But situationally. This is actually a really good spot for Kansas if this game is indeed played. I mean, you know, at this point, talking on Monday, we don't know. I mean, Baylor's going to have to clear out whatever's in their locker room to a sufficient degree to get cleared for that game. And obviously, Kansas is going to have to avoid their own cases. But that's something we're going to be saying to some degree or another every single week in this weird season. Yeah, I mean, so so the news, obviously, was that Baylor had – I believe um, from what I've seen coming out today was that they had like five or six players at a single position that all had to be quarantined. Um, And then they they had a few other players as well, but it was the fact that they had an entire position group essentially knocked out. Um, What I had also heard was that, you know, there was, there was a lot of, uh, it it wasn't that there was positive COVID tests. It was the the combination of the, of a single potential positive along with all of the contact tracing and the quarantine that had to happen related to that. So it very well easily could have gotten cleared up by the time we have this game. Um, I, as far as I know, they're, they're expecting it to have gotten cleared up, but you don't know who else is going to be in a similar sort of situation where if you have several key players who come into contact with someone and have to quarantine, but it's not it's concentrated in a certain position group or widespread enough that they have to postpone the entire game, that could really swing it one way or another for either team, 
You know, like, I mean, if, if, if Kansas has Puka Williams that has to sit out because of a, you know, COVID-related, you know, contact, like, that really affects what Kansas tries to do in their game plan. Um, and so, like, you know, it, it can work for pretty much anybody throughout the entire year. It makes me wonder how they're going to handle this, um, you know, especially when we get to playoff time, if there's some of the, the top teams like Oklahoma or like a Clemson or, or someone like that who has very key players that have to sit out and they either look absolutely horrible or even suffer a key upset at that point. How does the playoff committee actually handle that? So once now, now that we're actually kind of there on the topic, I do want to talk about the other big news that happened this week already. Um, or I guess the end of last week, the Big Ten announced that they are going to go ahead and actually start playing. They're going to start October, the, the end of October, uh, play an eight-game schedule and basically try to get everything wrapped up in time, assuming that they don't have a bunch of COVID cancellations, so that they can have their conference championship game in enough time to be able to potentially participate in the playoff picture. Um, you know, do you think that that's something that Big 12 teams should be worried about uh, in terms of big, the Big 12 trying to get people into the playoffs? Or, or do you think that we're even at this point with such a big unknown that it doesn't really matter who else joins the fray at this point? You know, it's funny. I, for, for me, it's hard for me to even think that far ahead. So I guess my first inclination would be to answer that it, it's a bit premature. But then again, you know, I mean, even, you know, less than a month ago, I didn't think we were going to have college football. So it's crazy. You know, it's like, this is truly the Wild West. We've entered, you know, this, this, this is a season where we're entering a new frontier of things we've never seen before, you know, where any game can be canceled on, you know, day's notice. And so, yeah, it's um, it, it's going to be really interesting. And the point you brought up uh, just a little bit ago, I, I thought it was it was it was a really good point, you know, just about, um, you know, if a team has a star player go down. I mean, like, you know, Clemson, for instance, you know, if Trevor Lawrence, you know, whatever, God forbid, um, you know, and they have to start the true freshman, you know, he is a five-star kid, but, you know, if, if they had to start the, you know, him against one of the ACC's better teams, you know, at the end of the, their schedule, whatever, um, you know, I mean, Ohio State with fields or, you know, whatever, it's, um, we, we, we've entered uncharted territory for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, so, I mean, in, in, in terms of the Big Ten playing, because, you know, there's been a lot of brouhaha about the Big Ten coming in and uh, teams like Ohio State that are potentially pushing out, um, you know, I, whether it's a second team from either the ACC or the SEC or even someone like the Big 12 champion, um, you know, like, do you, do you think what, like one of the big things they're talking about is the uneven number of games, um, you know, that, that are, they're, they're, they're potentially going to have, but with the possibility of COVID cancellations, like, I think there's a very real possibility you could have a, even a big 12 conference champion who had had one or two games canceled because of COVID you know, or, or an ACC champion or someone like that. Like, do you, do you think that it's really that big of a deal how many games each of those have scheduled? Or is it going to be so weird this year anyway that it doesn't really matter and, you know, the Big Ten or the Big 12 or any of these teams have just as good of a chance of getting in as they would in any normal year? It's a great point. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, for teams that aren't, you know, haven't traditionally gotten in or, or teams that haven't been to the playoffs before, maybe, maybe this could potentially be their year. You know, just just because you know, if if you do have those crazy circumstances, you know, or you also have the the situation where because you have the truncated season, um, statistically, it's going to be a little bit easier to get to you know either undefeated or just one loss, and so you could have a cluster of teams, you know, whether that's a one loss and you know or whatever, you know. But like you said, I mean, you could also have this situation where there's a discrepancy in games played between those teams. I suppose you'd look at strength of schedule, but 
you know, if you start having COVID cases with some of the the opponents that led to some of those, you know, you could just get into a million different iterations with this. But I I, I do think a season like this, it's going to, you know, if you're just looking at the playoff field, it it would seem to be the one year you'd want to maybe toss some roulette chips on the table to get in there because it's clearly going to favor, you know, or or it's clearly going to steer away from favoring the traditional powers who would, you know, just prefer that there was no injuries and and talent, you know, one out at the end. Yeah. I'm almost wondering though, if this also gives the playoff committee an excuse to give a team who lost, you know, because of a COVID thing or, or, uh, or discount maybe wins that some other, some of the other contenders might have and just bring in all the people that they would want to bring in. So like you might see an Alabama and a Clemson, you know, and an Ohio state get in, even if their resume wouldn't normally say it just because, well, we can kind of discount or pick and choose, you know, which COVID cases to really say were, were impactful. Like I'm, I don't know that there's, that this year is going to be any crazier with teams that make the playoffs just because, you know, we're going to have so many built-in excuses that people can pretty much rationalize putting in whoever they want unless a team, you know, loses five or six games. Potentially, um, I could see that. But, you know, I, I think they do a good job of, you know, sticking to, you know, some idea of um, of um, objective, uh, you know, computer analysis or, or, or whatever, you know, as far as like strength of teams. Um, you know, I, I think they've done a decent job in the past. And so I, I, I don't think they would like, um, you know, sort of usurp, um, you know, if, if, if you had a, a group of teams that, you know, was clearly better analytically at the end of the season. I, I'm not sure that they would override that for, you know, say a, a, a two-loss Alabama or Ohio State, you know, just because of, you know, X circumstances. You know, like, I mean, this isn't an apple-to-apple case, but, like, you remember, like, when Kenyon Martin got injured for Cincinnati and the NCAA screwed them in the seating, you know, and stuff like that. Like, I, I'm not sure that, like I said, not apple-to-apple's comparison, but I'm not sure that, um, the NCAA, you know, or the, the playoff committee in this case would um, sort of accelerate a team above because I, I think it would lead to an uproar, you know, if they were just throwing in their the traditional teams that make it if they weren't deserving. Yeah, true. I mean, I definitely think that it's going to be – I mean, it it might be the difference, though, between like a second SEC team making it or Oklahoma. You know, like if, if, uh, if, if Oklahoma has a game that gets canceled – um, you know, and but and so they end up like nine and zero or ten and zero after everything's all done. But an SEC team, you know, like a second SEC team, like loses once because of a COVID thing. Like I, I know I can see all kinds of weird things happening even up at the top, where there's going to be a bunch of people that are upset one way or another, or you know, even like a team that that people that fans think should get in but doesn't get in. Um, you know, kind of the reverse situation. I just I think that COVID gives basically them a, a ready-made excuse to pretty much do whatever they want to do. Not that they don't do whatever they want to do anyway. It's just it seems like we can we can usually understand the logic behind what they're doing. But I also think that there's going to be so much misinformation or information that we're not privy to just because of either you know HIPAA stuff or or just because you don't necessarily know like you won't necessarily know who which individual people have COVID. You'll just know that they're without certain players. Like, um, you know, or, or certain things will happen like that. And so I just, I think that with all the uncertainty going around, assuming we have a playoff, like they can, it can pretty much look however people want it to look this year, I think. Maybe. Um, I, 
I guess the way, you know, I just sort of see it the other way, you know, just my perception of it is I, I, I guess the way that I see it is it, it's going to be easier to get to a fluky 8-0 or 9-0, whatever, in a Power 5 conference than it would be to get to, you know, obviously to 12-0 or 13-0 or 14-0, you know, in a, in a regular season, whatever. No, true, true. So, yeah. And so, so I just think, like, you know, if you have multiple teams that go undefeated in Power 5 conferences, if you have, if you have four teams, I mean, they're getting in. Uh, you know, unless right. there's multiple cancellations on on one of the ends, even if one of the teams is is fairly fluky, right? Like, let's say, like you know, a team has, you know, like one of these ACC teams. Let you know, I I don't know, you know, Virginia Tech or whatever, or my, you know, whatever, um, a team that doesn't have a loss yet. If 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 they were at the, uh, you know, in their season, and then the Clemson game gets canceled, let's say, and they can't make it up, and all of a sudden they end up having more or less a cakewalk schedule because of the way it goes out. You know, you pluck out one of the you could have a fluky scenario like that, that, that would be pretty interesting, you know, as far as like that team getting in. But, you know, I, I think outside of that, they'll, they'll probably stick to the, the usual stuff is what I would think. But obviously, you know, we, we just see this one different, but who knows, you know? Yeah. Well, I also think something like that, it's, um, you know, it's probably less likely because I believe the way that the ACC's conference championship game structure is set up is that, you know, if it were to happen where Virginia Tech didn't have a loss and then because they missed the Clemson game and then Clemson would probably be undefeated, they would have to play each other in the championship game. And I know that they'd find a way to make that game happen. But I'm thinking maybe something like the Big Ten, you know, where if it's like Ohio State and Michigan are supposed to play each other and they're both undefeated and that game gets canceled because of COVID, they're on the same side of the bracket. Like they wouldn't actually get to play each other in the conference championship games. And so that could potentially give you an argument of, you know, like potentially Michigan or someone like that, if they get a couple cancellations and don't really end up having to play anybody on their schedule, they would look really good, but wouldn't necessarily make it. But people could say, oh, well, they're undefeated. Maybe they should deserve a spot in the playoff, even though they couldn't play in their championship game. Like I could see something weird like that happening, kind of like how Kansas snuck into the BCS over Missouri because they didn't have to play in the Big 12 championship back in 08. Um, that was totally justified, you know, like, by the way. <laughs> oh no, I, I I definitely agree. I, I love I love the fact that that happened because it's one yeah. thing that whenever I talk to anybody who is you know from Mizzou, they still complain about it to this day. Um, no, we actually had an entire podcast episode um, back one of these some or actually it was the ten year anniversary of that happening where uh, we actually had uh, Carrington Harrison, uh, you know who's who's the, who's the big Mizzou guy, on and he um, he was not very happy when when that came up and we had a very rousing discussion about that, but. But no, I mean, like we could have those sorts of shenanigans this year if things break right, but it's only going to be in conferences like the Big Ten, um, you know, where because I think all the other ones are playing. Well, no, I, I'm not sure how the SEC is doing it. I guess they are still going by divisions, aren't they? Yeah, they won't do a round robin. Yeah, I mean, like right. You know, so, yeah. so we could have a similar sort of thing, like if Auburn and ACC and too. Alabama. Yeah. Oh. No, I thought the ACC because they have 15 teams because Notre Dame is part of it too. They said that they're going to play their 10 game schedule. And then whoever the top two teams are, are playing in the championship game, similar to what the big 12 is doing. So, oh, right, right. well, yeah, right. Because the big 12 always does that. So, but okay. Um, so, so I think that's, that's enough national. I do want to kind of talk about KU, the outlook for KU, um, maybe a little bit more about this game that's coming up, just kind of thoughts there. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the rock chalk podcast. And we're back. All right. So, Thor, um, obviously part of the reason I want to bring you on is because you are a KU guy. I like to talk to KU guys that have kind of a, nat- a more national perspective. But this is a KU podcast, so we do need to talk about Kansas. 
Uh, we've already talked a little bit about Kansas's very poor showing against Coastal Carolina. And you mentioned something that honestly made me feel a little bit better, um, you know, kind of with that discrepancy. And we're seeing that that's, you know, really something that we're seeing across the nation where teams that have that practice have opened up their season um, are definitely much, uh, much, much better off. Um, but talking about Kansas, like, does that still excuse the loss that Kansas had against Coastal Carolina? Or was there other things about that game that worry you are going to carry over? And it's not like, was that mostly because of that effect that you guys are seeing elsewhere? Or do you think there's very serious concerns about this Kansas team going forward? Well, I, I definitely think that was a factor playing against Kansas. But that being said, it, it's pathetic. There's no excuse for it. I mean, you know, because a part of this comes down to talent in the house. Right. Like at a certain point, a certain caliber of athlete should be able to beat Coastal Carolina, even if they're, if they're at a discrepancy of preparation, you know, you know, as it were here. Um, and, and Kansas just doesn't have that talent, you know, at this point. They, they have a couple standout players, you know, obviously Puka on offense. And, you know, outside of that, the, the talent level is just not there. And it, that that's what frustrates me, you know, like some of the schematic stuff got better, you know, when, when, when Dearman started calling plays, et cetera, but the, the talent's just not there. And that was the one selling point on Les Miles, right? Like when, when that job opened up, I was banging the drum for the quickest way for Kansas to become a contender again is the turn to the triple option offense. To, to, to me, it was clear as day because Kansas has to zig when everyone else is zagging in the big 12 in football. To, to win in the same way that, you know, in, in basketball, you know, obviously Kansas is the bully and, you know, it's sort of the other way around for other schools. But, you know, in, in this sport, they have to do something different. And, you know, Les Miles was, you know, as old guard and, and you know, whatever uh, retread as you could possibly get. And the one selling point with him was he always recruited well. And, uh, you know, my point was it's, it's much harder to recruit to Lawrence than it is to, to Baton Rouge. And, you know, I think Les has, has found that out, you know, right now and, you know, in this, this next class, they're, they're last in the Big 12, you know, and we see the product on the field now. So I, let's just say that I'm not enthusiastic about at least the immediate future. I'm, I'm more or less looking forward to the next coaching staff and, and hoping that they, uh, they do the full reboot and go all the way with it this time. Now, when you say that their, their next recruiting class is last in the Big 12, are you talking about the, the 2021 yeah. Like the one for next year. I thought that that one was actually, from what I was seeing, I thought that one was actually ranked like third in the big 12. Okay. Um, well, yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not remembering that correctly, but so, so this would actually be the 2021 class. So it'd be for the, yeah, they're currently, according to like 24 seven sports, they're actually fourth in the big 12. They're 42nd nationally. This, this is the class that includes like Keon Coleman, Devin Neal. So they, I mean, they're really making some inroads. But, I mean, I think that speaks more to what you're talking about, that it's difficult to recruit to a place like Lawrence. You can't just bring Les Miles in and it's going to change overnight. He's pulled in some guys. I mean, I thought the work that he did immediately upon getting hired was phenomenal. You know, he had a recruiting class that had one player in it who quickly decommitted after, you know, he, he came on. And he was able to put together a class that ranked in the 50s, which, you know, I mean, was about on par. And he did that in like three weeks or a month. You know, considering or in terms of what what other people have done here in the last few years, but like I, I definitely see strides being made. The other thing that kind of hampers what he's doing is, you know, he's he's been bringing in only high school recruits. I think in his two years that he's actually or so far in the in the two classes that have come onto campus since he was named head coach, 
I'm pretty sure he only has one junior college guy. And that was a guy that got added on at the last minute after someone else decommitted, like right before signing day. And so like, I mean, he's done a really good job of grabbing just high school guys to help rebuild the scholarship numbers that they had. But, you know, what I'm wondering is, do you think that Brent Deerman running the offense, assuming he actually gets the reins to do that, is that enough of a zig for Kansas? Because, like, my, my problem with them trying to go – I was a huge triple option proponent for them as well. I wanted them to hire a triple option guy. But the more that I thought about it, like, you know, you see teams like Georgia Tech that, that have done that for so long, and they had probably a little bit more success than they would have given the level of recruiting talent that they were getting. But they never really broke through. They never were super successful. They were just not the worst in the conference. And so, like, I don't know how much of a long-term sustainable type of growth and, you know, continuing, um, you know, uh, contending you can actually do with a triple option type offense. Like, if you go that off base, it gives you a little bit of an advantage, but it also means that you're not practicing against the type of offenses that you're going to see your defense. So like your offense might get a little bit more productive, but your defense isn't going to be seen that week in and week out, similar sorts of schemes or really paying attention to that kind of stuff. And so like, I definitely think there's an argument for zigging, but I also wonder what your thoughts are on Brent Deerman. And if he gets full range of this offense, is he going to be able to do enough stuff differently that they could start to see some success, especially as he gets more and more of his guys in? I mean, I like Deerman. I, I, I think he's a smart guy, you know, and I, I think you saw like, you know, last year's Boston college game, I think being the best example where, you know, or te- the Texas game, you know, like some of the stuff that, that they put in there, you know, RPO stuff, stuff like that, it made the offense a lot more dangerous and it played up the quarterback position quite a bit. Um, and so, you know, stuff like that, like, you know, I'm, I'm with Deerman, obviously he's, he's written a book about offense. So, you know, I, it's hard for me to criticize his acumen, but for me, it's more of a philosophical thing. You know, Georgia, you talk about Georgia Tech, that was a team coming off of a lot of years of mediocrity. And Paul Johnson made bowl games every single year, and he put a heck of a scare into some some really, really good teams. I think Kansas fans need to understand, like, as far as the football program goes, we're never going to win a national title. It's just not going to happen. And so, like, you know, trying to build a team in the same way as Oklahoma, et cetera, it's not going to work. Um, to, to make a bowl game every single year, as we were doing under Mark Mangino, that should be considered a wild, wild success. And so if, you know, if we can get back to that winning seven, eight, nine games a year, that that's where Kansas needs to be. That is, that's a wildly successful in, in the history of Kansas football going back a long, long time. So, I, you know, I, if it was me, that's what I would be shooting for. I, I think like the, you know, getting the, the, the starry eyes, you know, and, and trying to, you know, either kick it back to a less miles or, you know, like stuff like that. I, I just, they're never going to be a contender like to that degree. You know, so that's what I think. That that's my argument for the whole the whole philosophy switch. Because I I think I think they could get to a bowl game pretty quick with a triple option offense. You'd need a reboot year, but after that, I mean, like you saw what Army did to Oklahoma. You know, last year. You know, you see that stuff all the time with with the triple option seats putting scares into into big programs just because they changed the game. So that. I'm definitely going to be banging the drum for that again once once the less regime is over. And I don't think the the less regime has uh, uh, too many more years left in it, to be honest. But that that's just what I think. I, I don't see as much progress, I guess, as, as maybe you're seeing. I don't know that I've seen a lot of prog- progress yet, but I've also been burned so many times by, um, you know, the people that they had before and realized just how poor of a situation we were in. Like, I think the expectation here 
for Les's first three, four years is similar to the expectations that we had for a guy like David Beatty. It was, we need to reset the foundation. And how you do that is definitely up for debate. Like, I, I, I agree with you. I think the triple option would be interesting. I think it would get them some success quickly. But, the, you know, the biggest problem with that is you have to find a coach that can do the triple option successfully, can lay that foundation, and then the next hire that you have has to be a similar guy, someone that can do the triple option, or you're going to be seesawing back and forth. And so, you know, the biggest, the biggest problem is unless you find a guy who wants to come to Kansas and wants to be the most high-profile, you know, triple option team that's there at a Power 5 school and, like, wants to be at Kansas for the next 20 years, you run the risk of we redo everything, we completely change our recruiting practices, we really, you know, change everything about the DNA of this football team and do that for four or five years, the guy moves on or it's not as successful as you'd like and then, and then you know, you move on from him – and then you have to take another one or two years or even more trying to get back to a more traditional system. And so, like, I agree that you want to look for the places where you can do something exotic, where people aren't really seeing that. But but I also think that, you know, the way that Brett Dearman does that, trying to find the next cutting edge thing and get, you know, get your your zigging that way seems to be the most sustainable, obviously, it'd be nice to get back there as quickly as possible and then try to see if we can sustain it. But I, but I also think that assuming that the foundation is built correctly, we're probably going to get set up for something that's a little bit more replicatable if we go through this process, unless it's actually able to be successful in it. Yeah, I guess I just disagree with that. Like the, uh, you know, the, that idea of the rebuild, you know, zigging, zigging back, you know, the year zero sort of reset, if you went back to the system, like you were mentioning, it, like Georgia Tech last year, for instance, that's just been every year of Kansas football now for over a decade. You know, we, we've, we've tried all fair sorts enough. of offensive. Go ahead. No, no, I said fair enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you, you know, I, I mean, for me, you know, when, when I'm talking about sustainability, I'm looking for, again, like my expectations, I think, are just lower at this point. You know, I, I think we've watched the same product now, you know, for a long time. And, I, you know, I, again, for me, it's, it's, it's getting to the, the six, seven, eight win, you know, barrier in the regular season. And if I could, if I could guarantee myself that, for the next decade, I'm taking it immediately, even if that means that there's no season of, you know, 10 wins, 11 wins or whatever. And I just think that the triple option is, is the quickest route to that. And one other thing I'll say is, you know, as far as like the, you know, the coaches and the recruits, the one big advantage you have when you're, you know, if you go back to the power five with the triple option, if, if Kansas goes in, they become the only obviously, you know, power five team running it now that Georgia Tech's out of the game. And so you would have a shot to get one of the true architects of, of that system, whether it be uh, Nia Matololo at, at Navy, if he wanted to try it out at the P5 level, whether it's Monken or one of the you know, top lieutenants of those guys or, or Calhoun. You know, we, we've seen Calhoun in rumors. He, he was just up for the, the Colorado job and they, they went a different direction, but you know, they would have, have a shot to get one of those guys. And then the other thing is you're first in line for all you know, the option quarterbacks. You know, and, and so, you know, you would always be. And so, you know, that was one thing that Georgia Tech found. They, they found some pretty good quarterbacks. Um, you know, I, I think if Kansas, you know, switched the way that they were doing recruiting. So now we're not competing with all the big schools, you know, who all run the, you know, an air raid or, or a spread offense like that. Now we're going after these guys that, that other folks aren't going after. And, you know, offensive linemen like Nebraska used to get, Midwest kids, you know, like the short, stubby, squatty kids that are just good at run blocking or whatever, like, 
Kansas could, you know, they, they could certainly go after that. They could get one of the nation's best, you know, option quarterbacks coming out of high school every year. To, to me, that's the direction I'm going. But obviously, you know, we're just talking about theoretical stuff. But that's that's what I think the, yeah. the quickest road back is. No, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that's the quickest way to get back to contending for a bowl game every year. Um, the, again, I think I think the problem, though, is that is dependent. That is extremely dependent on getting the right guy, coach-wise, to be able to do it. Because, you know, it's a, it's a difficult transition to make. And it's honestly, it's it's more difficult to sustain than I think you might realize just because there's a smaller, yes, there's not as many people going after those guys, but there's a much smaller pool of players. And, you know, unless you you happen to be in an area where you're the local team for them, you know, there even are a lot of guys who maybe would be more successful in the option, but they dream of playing at, you know, one of the bigger schools. And so they won't necessarily take the best system fit for them because they want to play for any of the other schools. You know, one of the big things I think that a lot of college players are looking for is the possibility of moving on and playing, you know, at the next level. And if you, you know, it's not very playing in the option or the in the triple option in college is not a very good stepping stone to be able to get up there. And so you have to be able to sell the program itself, the success that you would get at college more so than you know, what a lot of people can try to sell right now of, you know, you, you can either be the face of a franchise or of, of a, of a school that hasn't been very good, um, you know, and we can develop you and then you can be the guy that represents the school in the, in the NFL, or you can be in a system that's running and, and humming along and doing really well and churning out guy after guy after guy that goes to the NFL. So, if, you know, if you get those ultra competitive guys that want to go on to the NFL, you're going to miss out on every single one of those. Like you won't have a shot at all because it's really hard to go from an option offense up into the NFL, especially with the way that the NFL is going these days. And so like that, that's, that's the only problem that I potentially have with it. Again, I think it would be absolutely phenomenal to watch. I think it would be so interesting and so much fun. I just, I just don't know that the administration and a lot of the fan base would be willing to deal with the growing pains of that and all the downsides that could potentially come from it unless they were able to find the right coach that took them to 10 straight bowl games. Like if that happened, I think everybody would be ecstatic with it. But much like we saw with Nebraska and Frank Solich, you know, at some point people would say, well, why can't we get over the hump? Why can't we, you know, be competing to get in if, if we're consistently making bowl games? Why can't we com- be competing for the Big 12 championship? And I think a lot of that would just be systemic, the way that you're doing it. You're not going to surprise everybody, uh, you know, in, in a particular year to be able to, to make it to the Big 12 championship with, you know, something that's so much different than what everyone has seen. So... All right, for um, any other final thoughts, we, we are running a little short on time here, but any other final thoughts about Kansas, about the game coming up, any of this particular stuff? The one, the one thing that kind of hit on news-wise was that Corian Harris is coming back, switching to safety. Um, I don't know if that's something that you find interesting at all or if there's, there's anything specifically about this Kansas team that you want to leave us with. Well, they could certainly use Corian Harris back after, after watching their, their efforts against Carolina. Yeah, so – yeah, and you know the the position switch is kind of interesting. You know, I think long speed was was probably the you know the biggest question about his game. So I you know that that could be kind of interesting um, as well. You know, and, and like I mentioned before, you know, going back to the the Baylor game, um, you know, if if that game is indeed played, I, I think Kansas has something of an advantage from having started already. And you know, obviously, no one thinks much of Kansas at this point. I you know I'm, I I don't see an ambush coming, but I I think Kansas could perform better than 
than people think, and I think they could keep that game closer for longer longer than people think, certainly than than Las Vegas thinks. So I'm I'm hoping we get a good game, and you know it's it's always nice to kick off against a team that's that's opening with a new administration. You know you you don't see that often in in conference play, especially if you already have a game under your belt. So I think in you know several different ways of looking at it, Kansas has you know a, a nice little some of these nice little advantages going for them. So hopefully that game's played. It'll be interesting. Definitely, yeah. That was kind of the one game that I was keying off on that Kansas could potentially surprise someone with Baylor. You know, changing coaches, changing basically everything, losing a whole bunch of players from that team that was really good last year. Um, you know, like the fact that they were going to play them in week two anyway at the beginning of the year, like Kansas potentially could have really come out and surprised some people. Obviously, the Coastal Carolina result makes you wonder how much of that actually would have been possible. But, um, but yeah, so it'll be interesting. I'm really excited to actually see this game a lot more so than I thought I would be, you know, after the last game that they played. But, uh, but we'll have to see if it goes on. And, and like I told you guys that are listening, we will have a full preview of that game um, that will drop here on the podcast feed, assuming, of course, that the game doesn't get canceled before that's actually scheduled to come up. But, um, Thor, it, it was nice having you tonight. Where, where can people find your work online? You can find me on Twitter at ThorKU, or ThorKU is, is what it actually is, T-H-O-R-K-U. And you can find my work at rotoworld.com on the NFL draft section. Awesome. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please go out wherever, wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast and you can subscribe there. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would absolutely appreciate it. It really does help to get the podcast out there, especially after the changes that we've made recently. You know, getting it out there and getting it in front of more people would be really helpful. Now that we're over on Anchor, you actually can participate in the podcast. If you want to leave us a message, you can go to anchor.fm slash rock dash chalk dash podcast slash message and you can leave us an actual voicemail there that I can bring onto the podcast here so we can react to it or you can just leave your comments after this game I w- I'm really hoping to kind of hear from you guys so that we can get your own reactions built into our reaction show there as well but uh, um, you know if you ever have any questions comments suggestions people you want to try to interview anything like that you can contact me uh, by email at rockchalkpodcast@gmail.com or on twitter at rockchalkpod Again, that will do it for us tonight. Thor, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.